Sometimes I wish we could all just sit here in silence for the whole time here. (laughs) It's just so lovely, the stillness in this room. I just so appreciate it. Appreciate your practice. Tonight, the topic is dependent co-arising, or sometimes called dependent origination. It's a teaching on the conditioned nature of the arising of suffering. It's a foundational teaching of the Buddha. Foundational, fundamental, and yet also quite challenging. We could say it's a, an elaboration or a detailed exposition of the second noble truth. With the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. The origin of suffering is rooted in craving. It's a, it's a detailed unpacking of that. Not only how craving leads to suffering, but how craving comes to be and what follows. So this is a complex teaching. There are 12 links in this chain of conditions that the Buddha described lead us into suffering. And we will cover them all, so fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> and yet, as Winnie said the other night, you know, you don't actually have to try to track everything and hold on to it here. It's letting the teachings come in. Let yourself be still, receptive, and listen. And sometimes in that space, things will land in a particular way of understanding. I think this is why the Buddha repeated himself a lot. Because it helps to have to hear these things over and over. You might hear one piece of it one time and another piece of it another time. The complexity or the um, depth, the profundity of this teaching was pointed out by the Buddha at one point to Ananda, who came to the Buddha in some gratitude for the teaching of dependent origination Ananda said, It is wonderful, it is marvelous how profound this dependent origination is and how profound it appears. And yet it appears to me as clear as clear. And the Buddha's response to Ananda was, 
don't say that, Ananda, to the it appears as clear as clear part of that. Because Ananda at this point is not an arhant. So don't do not say that, Ananda. This dependent origination is profound and appears profound. And it is through not understanding, not penetrating this truth, that this generation has become like a tangled ball of string, covered as with a blight, tangled like with coarse grass, unable to pass beyond states of woe. So this understanding understanding, penetrating, directly seeing, not at, just the, not at the conceptual level, but at the experiential level, understanding this teaching, is equated with full liberation. This full understanding of this teaching frees the mind. The other thing when he pointed out the other night, which I always like to remember when I'm giving a Dharma talk, is the number of times that in the suttas it's described that people are awakened, people experience liberation while listening to a Dharma talk. This is one of the one of the I think it's five things, five ways that people can wake up. Listening to the Dharma. Another one of those five ways is teaching the Dharma. We can wake up teaching the Dharma, so there's hope for all of us. I hope to make this exploration of dependent origination tonight, dependent co arising, clear and practical, not just some concepts to think about, but pointing to ways you might be able to see this, even just in small pieces, in your experience. I found even just seeing little bits of this unfolding in my experience very powerful. And I have found this to be very um, profound in my own practice. How, that's what I hope to convey, how can this teaching support our practice with looking at our experience. So this teaching is a very clear description of how suffering happens in our minds. It's a description of the unfolding of phenomenon, and it's a human pattern. He's not saying some people experience this, others don't. So we can begin to understand our own suffering as conditioned. Just this is powerful. Even if we don't see how the conditions are unfolding, that understanding that it is conditioned can really support the mind to settle back and be willing to witness, to not take it so personally, to not think it's my fault that this is arising, to understand this this arising here is 
conditioned. It's, it comes about through past conditions of my life, past choices, choices and conditions of the mind right now. And this is just the way things unfold. This description here is, is a, a general description of human suffering. So we can begin to see the impersonal and the human nature of this process and not feel like somehow I've been singled out to suffer. So the links in this chain, it begins with, traditionally begins with ignorance. With ignorance as condition, mental formations come to be. With ignorance as condition, thoughts, ideas, emotions, all of those mental tumblings come to be. And I'll go on, I'll describe all of these links in a moment. But really what I want to point to here is that the, the foundation here of this teaching, ignorance is, the, is where the Buddha begins this. Suffering arises in connection with ignorance, with not understanding, impermanence, unreliability and not-self with not understanding the Four Noble Truths. So this is a mental phenomenon. And this mental, mental phenomenon of not understanding leads to mental formations, other mental formations that are based in that not understanding. Choices, actions, emotions, thoughts that are based in that not understanding. And so one piece here is that Suffering and its conditions are based in mental phenomena, not based in the physical realm. Suffering arises in the mind. That may be hard to believe when we're experiencing a physical, unpleasant experience. But we've been exploring this, looking at where is the actual suffering. There is unpleasant physical sensation, and then really when we look at where is the struggle there, it's because we don't like that unpleasant sensation. We want it to go away. We feel like it's out of control. And so we are really reacting to the mind's relationship to that unpleasant experience. The other piece around this conditioned teaching is that this chain of conditions unfolding to lead towards suffering describes conditions not A na- not a, not, we're not locked into a, a cause, causal process here. 
there is causality here, but it's conditions arising that tend to lead onward to other conditions. And a key teaching here is the good news that there are conditions that can support this chain to this, this process leading towards suffering, conditions that can support it to fall apart, to not lead to suffering, instead to lead to happiness, to the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion, to freedom, to love, to compassion, equanimity, balance of mind. So while this chain of, you know, describing how suffering comes to be may sound depressing. I mean, it's describing the typical human process when we are not aware of what's going on. And even sometimes when we are aware, we just get to see this happen like dominoes (laughs) falling. But it is not the necessary result of these conditions arising to a point. Once craving arises, it's like the dominoes are tumbling towards suffering. But before that, noticing feeling tone, we can bring mindfulness to feeling tone and not have the craving reactivity follow on from that. So this teaching points to the, tra- the, the, the trajectory that our minds habitually take. But part of the pointing here is that it's not necessary for the mind to do this. It's just what it's been deeply conditioned to do. And the Buddha described conditions that can support different trajectory altogether. Hearing the Dharma, one amazing condition that supports the mind moving in another direction, mindfulness, wisdom, the practices that we're doing. So I'm just going to kind of read through these links without too much explanation and then walk through them with you. So the traditional place it begins. With ignorance as condition, mental formations come to be. With mental formations as condition, consciousness comes to be. With consciousness as condition, mental and physical processes come to be. This is Nama Rupa. With mental and physical processes as condition, the six sense bases come to be. With the six sense bases as condition, contact. With contact as condition, feeling. With feeling as condition, craving. With craving as condition, clinging. With clinging as condition, becoming. With becoming as condition, birth. With birth as condition, old age and death. And the Buddha says, that is the entire mass of suffering. This chain is understood to have a cyclic nature to it. So with this unfolding of the entire mass of suffering, 
what tends to follow there is more ignorance. Unless that suffering is seen with wisdom, our tendency is to keep doing what we've been doing. And so this kind of a cyclic nature to this, this is understood, we could say, as the wheel of samsara, the round of rebirth. This teaching is described at times as describing certain pieces of it, describing a prior life leading on to uh, the conditions in this life and the conditions in this life then tumbling forward, if not seen, if not um, practiced with in the way that we're doing, tumbling on to a next to a next rebirth. But the teachings in the suttas also speak to this teaching as a moment-to-moment unfolding. When ignorance is arising in the moment, the mental formations that arise with it tend to lead us on to crave when feeling is happening. So this is the way that I've explored this in my own practice, the way it feels very practical to me. And so this is the way I'm going to explore it tonight, to look at this as a process that's unfolding moment to moment. I'd like to start our exploration a little bit in the middle of the chain with some of the links that are easier to recognize in our direct experience. For me, in hearing this teaching, starting with ignorance, I was immediately confused. And so it, it helped me to think about, let's just start with where we, where we can feel this. So we have bodies and minds, this mental and physical process link. Mental and physical processes, as conditioned, the six sense bases come to be. And so based on this mind and body, we have these sense organs. Eyes, nose, tongue, skin, ears, and our mind. We've got these six sense bases. Based on the consciousness that we have in our mental and physical processes in these six sense spaces, we receive experience. This is, we've been looking at this. This is a, a foundational part of our Vipassana practice, to look at what's the contact. What are we actually experiencing moment to moment? So this is the next, the next link. With the six sense spaces as conditioned, there is contact. Contact comes to be. So contact with the sense spaces. Sight, sound, smells, tastes, touches, and things arising in our mind. That's, we, we, we've been watching this. So this part of the chain is pretty familiar. We have our senses, and we, when, when there is um, consciousness, well, actually, even sometimes when we're asleep, you know, there is, there is contact with these sense bases. Whether we are mindful or not, there is this contact. We experience these sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and touch. And emotions, thoughts, mind states, moods, through the sense door of the mind. With contact as condition, feeling comes to be. This is a link we've talked about. Greg did a whole talk on feeling tone. So every one of these physical contacts 
Every sense impression that we have has a feeling tone. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. This feeling tone, and and Greg mentioned this the other night, this feeling tone itself is based on conditions. So what we've done the the previous moments may affect the pleasantness or unpleasantness of the feeling to, of of the of the sense object. For me, I found this interesting and fun to play with in eating, to see how the um, feeling tone changes in the same kind of food. You know, taking a bite of the same food moment after moment after eating other foods. So one thing that I've I've noticed for myself, I did this as a child actually, is that milk after a cookie, I experienced milk as pleasant. But milk after a pickle was unpleasant. So the, the experience of the pleasant, unpleasant, that, that kind of example, you know, you can see that the pleasantness or unpleasantness is based on conditions. It also can be based on moods or emotions in the mind, things that have been, have been going on. So we'll get to this a little bit more in, in just a bit. So each sense impression has a feeling tone. It is said that all beings, arhants, unenlightened beings, we all experience this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So this point, up to this point in the, what we're talking about now, the body, the mind, the sense bases, the contact, the feeling tone, the Buddha said that, that people who are awakened experience this, people who are not awakened experience this, experience this feeling tone. And he actually points out, I think, um, maybe one of us talked about this, you know, what is the difference? He actually asked his, his disciples at one point, what is the difference between someone who is awakened and experience feeling, experiences feeling tone and someone who's not awakened? Someone who is free from greed, aversion, and delusion and feeling, feel, feeling tone and someone who's not awakened, someone who is subject to greed, aversion, and delusion and feels feeling tone. What's the difference between them? And he goes on to say, well, if somebody who is not awakened, feels an unpleasant feeling. They beat their breast, they weep, they wail, they say, woe is me, why me? And they suffer. Basically, clinging, craving, clinging, identification, suffering arises in dependence on that feeling tone. He said someone who is awakened, someone who does not have greed, aversion, and delusion in their mind, when they feel a feeling tone, they feel a feeling tone. When they feel a pleasant feeling, they feel a pleasant feeling. So this is, this is a, the place where, you know, the tumbling on towards craving, which is the next link, with feeling as condition, our habitual response. Not just because of, you know, how we've been raised in our families, but just because of our humanness. Our habitual response is when something pleasant happens, we like it, we want more of it, 
When something unpleasant happens, we want to get rid of it. We want to push it away. We've talked about this a lot, too. So I'm not going to dwell on this part too much. It's just the habitual nature of our minds to go this direction. It's like we're a simple automatic like automaton that wants to maximize pleasant experience and minimize unpleasant experience. So we go towards pleasant, away from unpleasant. I mean, even single-celled creatures do this. This is deeply evolutionarily natural that we move towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant. Our minds add stuff to it, that the, the desire for it, the, the holding to it, the craving, the clinging. So we habitually, again, this is the habitual process in our minds, we habitually want to act on this wanting and not wanting, this craving. With craving as condition, clinging comes to be. We want to figure out how to keep it. So the, the, uh, the craving is the kind of leaning towards something. The clinging is the picking it up. So we could say the, the craving is kind of the reaching out or the heading in the direction for that pleasant thing, whether it's a physical pleasant experience or some idea of a, a kind of person we'd like to be. There's a kind of the leaning towards it. And then the, uh, the clinging is that we've picked it up. We've, we've reified around it. We have it. Like, you know, just Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about this distinction between craving and clinging as being almost a matter of gradation. He says the craving is like a thief reaching out to grab something, and the clinging is when they picked it up. This is the, the, the process of clinging also functions with aversion. It's, it's the um, clinging to not this. I, I was struggling with that at one point in my own practice. Well, how is this clinging? You know, how is this aversion clinging? And I realized I was clinging to anything but this. Just give me anything but this kind of a holding to, this is not okay. In fact, what I discovered in the way aversion works is kind of like, you know, if I didn't like this table, you know, it's like the aversion is like being stuck to this table trying to get rid of it. Like I've got sticky glue on my hands trying to push it away. That's the clinging with aversion. We can't just let it go. With feeling as condition, craving comes to be. With craving as condition, clinging comes to be. With clinging as condition, becoming. Now, becoming is... Um, Tanisaro Bhikkhu had a great phrase for this. Becoming is kind of like the intention towards an identity, an intention towards the one who has control. So Tanisaro Bhikkhu describes becoming as the intentions 
and actions that rally in the service of clinging. So we've got this thing, and we kind of have our our whole like being starts to shape itself around the having of this thing, the needing to control this thing, the idea that it's mine. So there's, there's intentions and views that come into being here. This experience is actually pleasant. It's a feeling. This is the place where it feels like like we've got something, we've picked it up, and, and there's just this moment of, I figured it out. I've got this under control. I know how to go there. And this is that becoming. We like it. We like the feeling that we know where we're headed. We know how we'll get there. It's, 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 it's like the intention towards. We're not there but we feel like we know we're going to get there. It's like anticipation or something. Pleasant, a pleasant feeling there in that rallying of, I'm going to be able to control this thing. There's a, this just came up, I, I just remembered this, um, in the, the stories of Winnie the Pooh, Piglet asks Winnie the Pooh what his favorite thing in the world is. And Winnie the Pooh said, well, honey is a really wonderful thing, but there's a moment just before I eat it that's even better. That's that sense. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. (laughs) So this is becoming... Following on from becoming, there's a kind of a reification. Birth is the next link in the chain. A reification of an identity. Things become much more solidly mine. This is mine. This is who I am. So this, this can be obvious or subtle. It might be, you know, like, this is my cup. <laughs> this is my sitting spot. You find somebody sitting down in it, and you really feel how much it's my sitting spot. If you, if you walk in and see somebody else sitting in your sitting spot, those feelings of congealing around mine, me, myself. From this place, well, actually, I think from craving, starting from craving, suffering is going to follow. When craving arises, there's already suffering arising. When we feel into the feeling of craving, there's already suffering there. When we're not paying attention to the feeling of craving, we may miss that it's suffering because we are focused on what the craving wants. Now, this was a way that this is very useful in my practice to understand this. That when I noticed craving and could feel the experience of this is what it feels like to want. Doing walking meditation and watching myself want to look at people. 
the feeling of the pull, the instability, not following through on the wanting, but just feeling the wanting. You feel that, that sense of tension and tightness and the feeling of what happened, in this case, you know, looking, watching to see how this wanting unfolded, that there was suffering with the wanting, but when the person kind of went out of my field of vision, the wanting to see them disappeared. And the suffering disappeared. So the really really clear understanding that the wanting itself was suffering. So noticing how the links, these 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 the exploration of this process, sense impression, feeling, craving, clinging, becoming, birth, identification, wherever you notice yourself, wherever you notice what's happening in the present moment, you might notice it's in that terrain somewhere. Noticing what's here in that moment. Craving is suffering. Clinging is suffering. Becoming has a pleasant feeling tone. This, I think, is part of how the cycle propels itself. Why we get hooked here. First of all, we can get hooked in this cycle partly because the, um, the craving, when we don't see the craving as craving, we are focused on what the craving wants. We're focused in the future. We're focused on this. I will get this thing. We're focused on that idea of the thing that we're going to have. And that idea is pleasant. And so we're missing the fact that we are suffering in the present moment because our mind is pleased by the idea of what it, what, that it might get the thing. So the craving, when we can actually begin to see craving as suffering... This is an insight. We don't like it, you know, you don't like the unpleasantness of it, but it's an understanding. The Buddha pointed this out to us. Understand suffering, he said. See that craving is the, the cause of suffering. With craving, when the craving arises, suffering arises. So that's one reason why we don't tend to why we tend to get caught in this cycle because delusion masks the suffering of craving. Delusion convinces us that getting that thing will make us happy. And lo and behold, when we get the thing, you know, we actually get the get the um, you know, we actually cling to it. What happens there too? is that the wanting ends when we, have, when we have a hold of it. And at that point, we're kind of in the becoming piece. Ooh, I've got it. I figured it out. The becoming itself is pleasant. The idea of I'm in control. I've got going to make myself you know, have this happiness for the rest of my life. So there's that pleasantness of becoming. There's also the pleasantness of the wanting going away. That's a huge piece of how this cycle perpetuates itself. 
when we don't see that the uh, suffering is, that the, the craving is suffering, we don't see the, the suffering nature of the craving itself, and we get the thing, the suffering goes away, what we think is the only way to make that wanting and that suffering go away is to have the thing. That's, that's what our minds believe. Because that's what we've, le- what we've learned. That's how we've engaged for our whole lives. I get something I want, it feels good. And then what our minds do with that is, you know, because of the nature, the rest of this unfolding, you know, that there's the impermanent nature of this thing that we've gotten, or the impermanent nature of the identity that was born there, you know, the, the, the kind of the happiness of that identity of having a cup, how long does that last? Usually not very long. And so there's a feeling of dissatisfaction when the pleasure of the becoming goes away, <laughs> when the pleasure of the having that thing gets less enticing, what our mind says, well, when's the last time that I felt good? Well, it was when I got something I wanted. So what do I want to want? We go searching for something to want. You can feel this in spades. I sometimes call this Google mind, sitting in front of the computer. What do I want to look up? It's this feeling of subtle dissatisfaction, you know, what? just a little bit of like, I'll feel good if I get some information about something. What can I think of that I'll get, can I get, get some information about? So our minds only habitually know that getting something I want is what will make me happy, and so we just are propelled on this chain habitually. Fortunately, there is understanding that the Buddha offered that can help us step out of this cycle. So that's kind of the the pieces of the chain that we've talked a lot about in, in many Dharma talks. This is just putting it together in a different way. I'm going to go back now to the beginning of the chain to ignorance. But since this is a cyclic pattern, there is a way that there's an understanding that that ignorance is conditioned by suffering. So we went through the cycle to the point of you know, the becoming, the birth, and then that birth leading to the entire mass of suffering, the old age and death. Something that comes into being will fall apart. There's no way around it. Something that has a conditioned arising cannot stay together forever. It will fall apart. And so that falling apart, because we cling to what has come together, that falling apart is experienced as suffering, the entire mass of suffering. And so that this pattern, this cycle that we're in, tends to perpetuate the ignorance. So the Buddha points to suffering being a... um, one, One thing that he said, he said, suffering results in bewilderment, which is essentially ignorance. When we're suffering, it's like, why me, you know? 
Why am I singled out for this? Kind of a confusion. And this is the terrain of ignorance. Or it leads to search. The main definition of ignorance is not understanding the Four Noble Truths. Not understanding suffering, not understanding the cause of suffering, not understanding the possibility for the cessation of suffering, and not understanding that there is a way to the cessation of suffering. This ignorance is also defined by not understanding the impermanent, unreliable, not-self nature of experience. So the basic condition for suffering to lead to ignorance is for suffering to not be understood. That first noble truth, the Buddha said, suffering should be understood. I love that. There's the framing of that in the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta. There is suffering. Suffering should be understood. That itself is an insight that the mind turns and recognizes this is worth understanding rather than just reacting to. Suffering should be understood. So when suffering is not understood... Ignorance arises. On the other side, the Buddha said, suffering can lead to search. If, if we meet teachings at this point, when we're in that space of suffering, if we meet teachings that talk about the possibility for freedom from suffering, if we're in that space of search and we happen to be able to hear the teachings, this chain, this is, this is one of the, the weak links in the chain, essentially. There's another chain that, that says, with the arising of suffering, suffering is not only a supporting condition for ignorance, but suffering is a supporting condition for faith. And this understanding that there is a way even even at a reflective level just that willingness to step in to practice that feeling of confidence of capacity that is a supportive condition for the unfolding of a different set a different set of conditions leading to freedom a natural unfolding towards freedom. Now this is also the good news. What we're doing here is directly supporting this movement towards freedom. Now it doesn't happen on our time frame. We don't get to control that process. But we cultivate the conditions And the process naturally moves in that direction. So we're going to still talk about ignorance conditioning mental formations here, though, because we're talking about 
Paticca Samuppada, not the transcendent version of that. So with ignorance as a condition, mental formation comes to be. Now ignorance here, one of my understandings here is that ignorance in the propelling forward of this chain, when ignorance is arising, basically feeling will lead to craving. When ignorance is arising in the moment, feeling, I mean, it's not like ignorance arises and then feeling arises later. Like in every single moment, feeling is arising. When ignorance is arising in the moment, feeling leads to craving. Because the mind doesn't understand. The mind is caught by believing that something impermanent, unreliable, would be permanent and reliable. So the, in some ways I feel like the, the ignorance is kind of like the, the thing that, you, that, that would pick up. It just picks up all 12 links simultaneously. With ignorance as condition, this whole thing comes to be. And then, but ignorance comes and goes. In this practice we see that. Sometimes ignorance is arising. We feel the way that craving, uh, feeling leads to craving. We see that. But that very process of seeing it is helping to undermine the ignorance. So ignorance shapes these, this, un, this not understanding suffering, the belief that there are things that are permanent, reliable, self. Taking things to be permanent, reliable, controllable. Our mind kind of orients in the world towards choosing, acting, deciding based on that, those beliefs. Based on not understanding suffering, based on the um, belief that there's something permanent out there to hold on to, something reliable that will make me happy, a me that I can control navigating through this world in a reliable way. We choose things, we decide things, we act based on that, those beliefs. And these are mental formations. These choices, these actions, the emotions that follow, this is mental formation. So due to ignorance, we take the most obvious move to get rid of unpleasant and move towards pleasant which simply leads us through this cycle over and over again we think we're acting to alleviate suffering but we're actually reinforcing the patterns of this cycle so with ignorance as condition mental formations come to be now there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of these mental formations. We each have our own personal mental formations, you know, based on our our own conditioning. I talked about this when I talked about delusion. How how we have our own views that arise based on our own um, fam- familial, our cultural upbringing, all of that. So we have our own views that arise, you know, and you know what we've experienced. But there are also views that we just absorb cultural views, kind of like a collective 
misunderstanding. I mean, we don't go at this, we, we, don't, we don't come at this all by ourselves. We are surrounded by people who also are misunderstanding things to be permanent, reliable, and controllable. Also misunderstanding the nature of um, how suffering comes to be. And so there are views that come from our, our cultural background. And these views can be a big source of suffering. Like not ones that we, we didn't you know, opt into, but just were kind of steeped in the soup of. Mental formations, for instance, around the concept of race. These are simply ideas, beliefs, views. There's quite good, you know, evidence in the DNA of our bodies that there's no reality to race. It's a belief, it's an idea. Mental formation. And here we can really, you know, touch into just how much suffering occurs based on ideas. These collective kind of ignorance. Collective ignorance can condition a kind of a collective picking up of mental formations. So we don't, it's not just it's not just internally that these mental formations are created. They're created in conjunction with how we live in the world. This is, these are hard to see. These kind of mental formations are hard to see. With mental formation as condition, consciousness comes to be. This one, a little bit confusing perhaps. The way I understand this is that our views, our habits, the, all of these mental formations, what's arising in our mind, what's, you know, these mental um, conditioned patterns in our mind, whether it's views, beliefs, or emotions, for instance, thoughts, these shape, these ideas, these thoughts, these emotions shape what our consciousness picks out of experience to pay attention to. So maybe this, you you might get a sense of this one um, from looking at how, what you've seen when you're caught in a particular emotion. For myself, I was, I worked with a lot of anger. So when there was anger arising in the mind, the mind would tend to kind of look for things to be angry about. It would, it, would, it would be like a filter on the mind. Or perhaps if I was angry, then I would see somebody, you know, looking in a particular way. They'd have a kind of funny expression on their face, and I'd think that they hated me. I mean, that, who knows, maybe they just had some gas, you know. But the mind will interpret reality and pick out of 
all of the sense impressions, things that confirm or kind of correlate to the moods, the views, the mind states, the emotions that we're having, kind of reinforcing them. This is related to what I talked about the other night, confirmation bias. Our minds tend to find things in the world, find things that agree with what we believe. Maybe even based just on simply an agenda. It, we, our mind orients to pulling, picking out of the experience what we need to see in that moment. It's a useful pattern, this, this, this kind of focused attention based on an agenda. And yet, we need to understand it because the, this is really where delusion comes in. We think we are seeing experience, meeting experience as simply you know, microphones and video cameras that are taking accurately in the information that's around us. So with consciousness as condition, so we, these mental formations shape what our consciousness pulls out of the environment. And with consciousness as a condition, our mental and physical processes are shaped. So the state of our consciousness affects our mental and physical processes. Flavored by anger, for instance, our body may become tense. So the mind state shapes the physical body. We tend to experience things as unpleasant when we have anger arising. It shapes the feeling tone of experience. We perceive things as being kind of directed against me when we're angry. So now, in this chain, we're back to where we started. With physical and mental processes as condition, the sense bases and contact. The conscious body-mind organism experiences input from the six bases and their six sense bases, and there's contact with the world. But we see now that we are not starting from a neutral place. The mind is already flavored with mental formations that have been shaped by views, opinions, ideas, beliefs that are shaped by ignorance confusion, misunderstanding. And so these filters, these views, tend to reinforce our existing perspective. So the cycle, again, tends to reinforce itself. Now we can, we can be curious about all of this. One thing, one of my teachers, you know, one way to explore this in a really simple way, you don't even have to think about all the links, but my, one of my teachers, Sayada Utejaniya, said, just see if you can understand what the job description of your mind states are. So this is the mental formation. What, is this, what, are these, what, are these, what do these mind states do? How do they act? So I just went through it with, with anger. You know, that anger tends to shape our physical body to have tension, tightness, heat. So that arises. Anger 
tends to um, shape our uh, experience as being unpleasant. So we could say that's a part of the job description of, of anger. So what is, how does anger affect us? Curiosity about that. That question, you know, what is the job description of this? That was a fun way for me to begin to explore. So what's the job description of depression? Okay, let's watch this one for a while. How does this one function? What does it do in the body and mind? Now the good news here, too, is that this cycle, the processes of mindfulness, what we're practicing here, creates conditions that break this chain apart. There's a, main, a big emphasis on looking at feeling tone. Over and over again in the suttas, the Buddha emphasized the feeling tone of experience. Notice the feeling tone, and that pointing to that being the place where if you, if you see the feeling tone with mindfulness and wisdom, it, it's like it... it short circuits that link to craving. And so this is a place where we can be very curious. Feeling tone is a hugely helpful tool in exploring where the mind tends to tip into craving. And also there are teachings that point to We don't have to try to work our way back to, well, what's the feeling tone here? If what you're experiencing in the moment is confusion or anger or a sense of identity, a sense of self, a feeling of becoming, there's a teaching that points to every single link of this chain. Seeing that Factor. It's it's the the framing of it is is it's like the four noble truths. It's an understanding around the four noble truths. So he says, for instance, if you're noticing clinging, you can see in that moment this is clinging. This is how clinging comes to be. This is the arising of clinging. This is the ending of clinging if you see it ending. And this is the path leading to the ending of clinging. He goes through that pattern with every single one of these links. All of these links are simply arisings. Contact is an arising. Feeling is an arising. Craving, clinging, becoming, they are arisings. And so whatever arising you are seeing, it's, it's not like we have to work back and say, well, where was the feeling tone? Let me go back to that, and then I'll be able to be free. He points to the freedom that's possible just through clear seeing right in whatever is arising. And this points to me, too, to that kind of cutting through of ignorance in the moment Seeing, oh, this is craving arising. It cuts through the ignorance that believes that craving and gives that 
possibility of some freedom. You may even feel a shift, an insight, an understanding, a a kind of a, a taste of wisdom there. Oh, this is just craving. I can be with this. So in, in this teaching, it's in the Majjhima Nikaya, seeing eat, with each link, noticing the impermanence of each link essentially is what he points to. One here and now makes the end of suffering. Seeing the arising of craving, understanding craving, the arising of craving, the ending of craving, and the way leading to the ending of craving. Seeing the impermanent nature of any of these experiences. One here and now makes an end of suffering. So this is possible with the practices that we are doing here. So let's sit for just a moment. May the benefits of our practice together be the supportive conditions for the freedom of our own minds and for all beings everywhere. Thank you for your practice. And I'll again remind you, just let the words go. You don't have to remember anything that I've said. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.